Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamowski talk with Madeline Fraser, founder and CEO of Gemist. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and JCK Online. Hey. Hey. Beautiful day. Start of spring. Yeah, it's coming. Excited to welcome our next guest, who I had the pleasure of speaking to at the end of last summer, and then we met in person at a pop-up she did here in LA at Fred Siegel. She's got a really cool direct-to-consumer jewelry brand and digital platform called Gemist. She's the founder and CEO. It's Madeline Frazier. And it's got a really cool try-before-you-buy competitive advantage that Emily Vesland, our senior editor, had written about last year, kind of compared it to the Warby Parker of jewelry. Madeline, welcome. It's great to have you. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, it's wonderful. We hear you're joining us from Ojai today, one of my favorite places in Southern California, this beautiful little nook just north of LA in Ventura County. It sounds like you, you're all set up there. We are. Yeah, we just made the move around Christmas time. Uh, so it's definitely a little bit of an adjustment, but we're really, really happy. And it's only about an hour from LA. So I get to go go to the office a few days a week and then get this awesome nature up here. So I'm I'm happy, loving it. Yeah, the perfect post-COVID setup. I think you you've nailed it there. Well, we, you know, I like I said, I've spoken to you a couple of times. We've met, and so I know a little bit about your story, but I was so enchanted when we first talked to hear about how you not only got into jewelry, but really became an entrepreneur in the first place. Do you want to take us back to kind of the beginning? Sure. I mean, you know, it's it's funny because I'm not, I was never really one of those people who set out to be an entrepreneur. It, it kind of happened to me. I think I'm just a really kind of creative, uh, very curious human. And so this this lifestyle and this job is is weirdly perfectly cut out for my brain. <laughs> I don't think I knew that when I was younger. But yeah, I mean, I ended up starting my very first business kind of by accident when I was a sophomore in college at George Washington University in DC. And I was an architecture and interior design major. And I found a huge niche. And this was in like 2012, 2013, you know, when people were saying, oh, there's there's no way anyone's going to buy a sofa online. We ended up creating the very first online interior design company. And we got it on Shark Tank, which was, you know, a lot of fun and, and really, really interesting. And then from there, it ended up evolving into a tech platform called Hutch, which really was a way for consumers to visualize and see their furniture and their spaces come to life on their phone before making a purchase. After, you know, around the time I was growing Hutch, I actually was going personally in my life through the process of getting engaged. And that was my first really kind of dabble into the jewelry industry um, because I had to create this ring. I wanted something custom and unique to me. And I honestly thought Gemist existed. I thought I could go online, design a piece of jewelry and see it before I made a purchase. It seemed like a very natural thing to me, especially with the high price points in the industry and just the intimacy and personalization that I assumed jewelry would have. I just thought, oh, this is going to totally be a thing that's available. And I was completely shocked that it wasn't. So I, of course, then decided I was going to make that happen. So here we are. And so how did you get started with Gemis? How do you launch something like that? You know, you have this cool idea. How do you make it into something that's real? 
Yeah, you know, I I have a lot of founders that ask me that all the time. And and I think, you know, the first thing for me was figuring out the market and understanding really what the idea was, right? So who are the competitors? Who's out there? How big is this industry? And what are we really solving, right? What problem are we tackling? And for me, I wanted to really bring the industry online. I was incredibly shocked that there were no online platforms that allowed you to easily within a beautiful brand, a beautiful user experience, design your own jewelry, you know? And so that was the first step for me was creating that kind of platform. And I come from the tech space. So I do know building tech teams and and building tech platforms. And so that was sort of the easy part in my mind. What was really unique was, okay, but I also wanted to then meet the worlds between digital and reality and allow consumers to actually touch and feel these custom pieces before making a purchase. And that was a hard one for me because I didn't know anything about jewelry at all, really. And uh, I wanted to basically create replicas. I wanted to figure out if I could take other materials that were more affordable and basically create like costume jewelry, but that really looked identical to the fine jewelry equivalent. So I started just, that was probably the first thing I did. I started just figuring out how to make jewelry, meeting manufacturers, going downtown. I was lucky I was in LA and I had a jewelry district to play within, you know, that was, that was great. And I just figured it out and we ended up creating, you know, really a fantastic physical product and, you know, a user experience and an app and and built that. And I started raising funding really just with an idea and a very basic concept and really quickly got a ton of consumers very excited about it. And, and we sort of just hit the ground running. And as you were doing this research and looking in, what, what were you finding? What were you seeing online that either caught your eye or, you know, didn't catch your eye that you felt wasn't. Right, right. And I think that's actually probably one of my stronger assets is that I I don't come from the jewelry space. So I think about things very differently. And for me, no matter what you're selling, you have to create a brand and a user experience that relates to whatever demographic you're targeting, right? And for me, I knew I wanted to target the like millennial and Gen Z demographic. To me, that was really the market that was A, getting married. They were the ones who were purchasing jewelry that had the buying power. Um, but what I noticed was that in every other industry, everything from fashion to eyewear to footwear, whatever, you know, even automobile, you you see this idea of millennials wanting to customize things. This is unique to me and nobody else really has this exact thing is really powerful. And then this this concept of try before you buy, it was again happening in other industries. And it made sense that it would really, really work in jewelry. And I was pretty confused. Like, why is this not happening yet? Because what I was seeing online from a digital perspective, at least, was really outdated technology, um, pretty sterile brands, honestly, kind of, you know, brands that didn't really captivate me as a consumer and user experiences that were sensory overload. I mean, like, for example, you go on a lot of these other platforms and you go to select a diamond or a gemstone and you're essentially presented with what looks like an Excel spreadsheet on a website and you just, you freeze, you go cross-eyed, you get a little sweaty, you're like totally overwhelmed as a consumer. Um, And so, you know, I was being, you know, I'm a millennial. I was, I'm a tech person. I am the perfect consumer to purchase jewelry online. Yet I was unable to do that with the platforms available to me. So how do you get around that? Because there is obviously when you buy a diamond, there's different qualities and grading and stuff like that. How do you not get into that trap of this kind of big Excel spreadsheet? Yeah, we are the anti-Excel spreadsheet. That's for damn sure. Uh, We simplify it. You know, I mean, all I can tell you is that what I find with all the consumers that come through Gemist 
the whole four C's thing and all this stuff around sustainability. And there's so much information out there that really quickly confuses consumers. And so why, why, right? Like, why do we have to overwhelm them and confuse them this much? What if we said, hey, we're the experts and here are the options that are the best for you? Because at the end of the day, after they hear the whole spiel, they basically end up saying, okay, so here's my budget. I can't go over that. But if anything, I'm going to I'm going to want to go up in carrot size, right? And as long as it looks white and sparkly, I don't really care. I mean, that's like pretty much what happens with everybody. And so that's kind of the language that Gemis has taken on, which is sort of like, here are the right stones, colors and clarities that are perfect, sustainability as our core root that are going to be within your budget that are not going to be insanely expensive. I think that it's just been overcomplicated for so, so long. Honestly, I don't think there's any really reason for it. I know a lot of the big websites, about half their sales are use some kind of telephone interaction or chat interaction that is not just, you know, Amazon click a button. Do you, do you have the same thing? We have a chat function and, you know, people can email us and we do have a, a program called On The Hunt, where if you want something that the platform doesn't provide, you can jump on a quick 15 minute call with us and, and we can help you figure that out. We've sort of hit this sweet spot where we're giving consumers enough choice, but not too much to overwhelm them. Most of our consumers, they come on, they design, and, and they either do try on or they go ahead and make a purchase. And if they have a few questions, we answer them quickly. You started out doing wedding rings, right? But I, the site seems so fashion focused now. What's your take on how that's evolved? I mean, you when did you add the earrings and the various other more fashion options to the site and how would they performed? Yeah. So when we launched into beta, just, you know, being a three-time founder, whenever I start anything, I'm very much like, how can I do it as niche as possible, as simple as possible? Because I need to get a version of this out there to the public that's 80% there. So we launched actually just with engagement rings. So it was very focused on this bridal concept because that was my pain point, right? And so we launched the platform that way, but within literally like two weeks, it was incredible. I mean, the the, the consensus across the board was people love the platform. They love the product, both the tech side and the physical piece, but they wanted more. The next question was, where are the other rings? And like, where are the earrings? There's always this question, where are the earrings? Where are the necklaces, right? It was constantly about opening up into other categories. And so we were like, oh my gosh, we're actually solving a bigger problem than we even really thought. And that this is totally applicable to both everyday and bridal, as well as every category of jewelry. And, and why shouldn't it be? That's actually how we diversify our merchandise as we grow. I mean, all of our earring designs, everything has pretty much come from consumer feedback. Now, when you do try before you buy, how do you handle the security issue? Oh, well, it's not the actual piece. It's a replica. They're super affordable, you know, for us to make, but they're really a very beautiful, very nice product. Uh, and consumers actually started purchasing them. A ton of consumers say, hey, I want to buy the real ring, but then can I also have the try-on ring for things like travel to beach and working out and stuff like that. And so we started selling those. And then now like you can come to Gemis and you can design like a gorgeous custom ring for 80 bucks. That's something that we always wanted to create was this concept of attainable luxury. Wow. I'm looking, I'm on my phone just looking through, you know, the various ring options. It's just, it is really fun to go through and you've got all these different views like 360 and just different angles. And I mean, it sounds like this platform, how long did that take? Was that all custom built for you or did you... 
yeah, we build everything custom in house. We have a an amazing tech team. We're just, you know, we're it's a, it's a tech company. We do a lot of the time get pigeonholed as, oh, you're just a you're just selling jewelry online. That's all you're doing. But in reality, what we're doing is we're creating a brand new way for consumers to buy jewelry online. What was the reaction? And we can get to some of your investors, but you know, obviously you pounded the pavement, so to speak, in Silicon Valley. What was their reaction to this new venture? I mean, did they have an existing mindset about what jewelry online meant or what a jewelry and tech business might be? Yeah, you know, it's funny because like I didn't know this obviously getting into it, but jewelry is like a really hard space for investors to believe in. A lot of times what will happen to me is they'll just literally see the word jewelry and they're like, nope, don't want to talk to you. There's sort of like a little bit of a graveyard of um, <laughs> just standard jewelry companies that did raise venture capital and that didn't succeed. So that that's one thing. Uh, again, did not know that before entering you know, the world of jewelry and venture capital. Every investor has a different thesis, has a different way of investing, different things, different categories they believe in or don't believe in. And I've just found that jewelry isn't really a category that's like really commonly invested in, I guess. It, it is interesting that Silicon Valley sort of automatically in some ways rejects these proposals or doesn't want to stay in jewelry. I think maybe jewelry has obviously always had this brick and mortar dimension to it that a lot of people still cling to as a critical part of the sales experience. So maybe that's a good point to ask you. I mean, other than the try and buy, you are doing some brick and mortar, or at least some pop-ups because I saw you at one. What is that retail experience dimension to Gemist and how is it evolving? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think the hardest thing is that this year has just been a whirlwind for that entire segment just kind of going dark for a while at least. But I do believe retail isn't dying, it's going to evolve. I really do believe that. But I, I think that what needs to happen is we need to be creating experiences that are more meaningful, that are more experiential, that are really differentiated in the space. So I don't think that your traditional jewelry stores are going to be able to completely survive. And same with online platforms that really aren't thinking outside of the box, unless they really start innovating and really catering to this younger demographic. So for Gemist, you know, we do have a retail segment of our business model. It's really about designing jewelry in person, right? So it's it's a lot of fun. We have a stone menu and we have modular pieces that you can build and mix and match. And it's a very, very hands-on, very tactile sort of build-a-bear for jewelry, if you will, concept. And so they end up telling a lot of their friends about it. And then they end up showing up at another pop-up or their friends tell us that they heard about it from XYZ person, right? And so it really has this... Um, very viral word of mouth quality to it. Given that your niche is custom, would you say that your site skews more towards female customers? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, definitely a female focused brand. So I'd say we're about 70% female right now. But what I will say is also by opening up the platform into more categories of jewelry, we have definitely in the last year found a ton more men who are coming to the site because they want to create something a little unique, right? That's a little bit more meaningful for their partner or their, you know, sister or their mom. Uh, so things are changing and evolving. And it's it's definitely something that I think will continue to change. I understand you can custom design, but what if you're like me and you have no artistic ability whatsoever and you can understand how to design something like how would that work for me? 
that's the whole point. <laughs> it's not, this isn't, it's something that's supposed to be easy and simple and fun, right? It's not really supposed to like freak you out and, and give you that, oh no, I'm, I can't do this. It's not supposed to paralyze you. And you know, you can just pick something and buy it. It's not like we've totally reinvented standard e-commerce, right? So, you know, there kind of is something for everybody. You know, you mentioned seeing a little more men shopping for the women in their lives. Are you seeing men shopping for themselves too in sort of this conversation about genderless jewelry and unisex styles and obviously men just feeling comfortable wearing slightly more feminine pieces? Is that at all reflected in in what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, we do we do sometimes have men purchase like our really basic, you know, gold stuff, but we've actually had a lot more men approach us more from the on the hunt, more extra custom service we do provide and it's shown us that there's definitely an opportunity for men's jewelry, you know, as we as we continue to grow and expand our merchandising offering. Um, and so, you know, men men's is a category we definitely want to explore over the next year or so. So how do you get marketing? Do you do mostly search or social, Facebook? What have you found to be your best marketing vehicle at this point? Yeah, I mean, like we we do it all. We we test everything and we optimize really across the board and have a very holistic approach on marketing. But I would say above and beyond our best channel has been affiliate marketing. We've done really well by creating strong partners, both on the press and editorial side, as well as on the influencer side. And we put them all basically through share sale and we all make money together. I want to just slightly go back to the the question of the brick and mortar versus online and the experiential aspect of this, because I think a lot of people are now struggling to figure out, well, A, how do you drive people into stores? And B, how do you distinguish your online experience from you know the countless others out there? Have you considered any other of these sort of newfangled technologies that we're seeing more and more of, augmented reality? I can't even think of what others might be out there, given that you're sort of entrenched in the world of tech. Are there anything on the tech side that seem like a good fit for your customer? The problem, I think, is that there's just not a lot of tech being built in jewelry. Um, it's just a space that doesn't have a lot of digital interest. I mean, you're still looking at an industry that I think right now is only about 15% online in general. <laughs> so everybody else is doing things in a very traditional way. So yeah, I've seen the AR, I've seen that type of stuff. I don't think the tech is there yet. You know, we'll build that, we'll create a fantastic platform for that one day once the tech really kind of catches up to itself. It's close, it's close. But we have so many more things we want to test and try and build and experiment with that we're really excited about. We talked earlier just about the retail. So just to wrap that conversation up, the brick and mortar, are you doing more pop-ups or do you envision actually having a flagship somewhere, perhaps here in LA, that that would be, you know, the place where the Gemist online experience comes to life year round? Yeah, uh, that's definitely part of the goal. Uh, but the the plan initially is really to start with partner pop-ups kind of test those, get those off the ground first. And then yes, eventually having our own pop-up locations that are 100% Gemis branded is something we're, we're definitely going to be doing in the future. I just wonder like what you, what you learned from people coming in, you know, those people that were comfortable enough going into retail stores in 2020, you know, what you learned from those Fred Siegel customers or what, what were some of your biggest takeaways about what it is that entices people into a store, keeps them there and has them actually engage and, and purchase? Yeah, I mean, well, we did we did a lot of pop-up stuff more in like our beta and that was actually pre-COVID, which I think is a little bit better data to refer to because 
I do think it's just been a really weird year. And I think people have been just scared about about going into other locations and all those anxieties, I think, just equal a kind of like limiting experience in general, just in terms of getting people out of their house. So, you know, but what I will say is that what we were creating you know, pre-COVID when people were, you know, used to going to retail stores was really amazing. It was, it was really exciting. And you could tell that the consumer was going to take all of that that they had just experienced and tell people about it. So we learned a lot about just, you know, how to lay everything out and how to roll it out and what worked and what didn't. And all of that was directly based off of consumers telling us what they thought because we were constantly asking them, you know, and I think that's the beauty of being in beta. It's you're not afraid to be like, Hey, what do you actually think about this? And you really listen. And because you're listening and you're, and and you're interested, they're going to be way more willing to really tell you the truth. You said that your first company evolved furniture, and that's something that I've heard compared to jewelry in that there's not a lot of brands. It's something that consumers go in kind of blind and figure out. Do you find the two industries kind of similar in that way or? Yeah, I do. These are inherently creative industries, right? There is an artistry to all of this, to furniture, to jewelry. But bottom line, they are both pretty fragmented and traditional industries across the board. You know, I think after 20 years for me in this business, I I can't help but think of jewelry as an exceptional category, similar maybe in ways to furniture and whatever, any other consumer product, but also so singular. Maybe that's just my bias because I've been in it so long and I'm so deeply entrenched. What stands out for you about this business or what do you find most surprising about jewelry now that you've spent a few years studying it? I think I was really surprised by supply chain in general. Like I was, I was really overwhelmed by manufacturing. I was kind of shocked by the different types of people I met and honestly, (laughs) how hard it was to find the right people. I was definitely really shocked by just how intricate jewelry was in terms of manufacturing it. I mean, there's so many different methods, there's so many different materials, different stone types. And I was also really surprised at how many people told me it couldn't happen. And I'm still learning so much. And is all the jewelry made in LA or do you have an overseas partner that now makes it all? Or No, everything's made in LA. And that was really important for me. As long as I can, I'm going to keep it within the United States. Do you, uh, it's probably a very premature question, but do you see yourself being a lifer or uh, could you see yourself going to someplace else? You know, I'm, I think I'm a lifetime entrepreneur. And I don't think that that means that it's one industry or another. I think that I, I see problems wherever they are, and I have to solve them. I think I'll be building this company at least for the next five to 10 years. So I think I'm, I'll be in this industry for a while. That's for, that's for sure. One of the things, Madeline, that obviously got JCK interested in you was the fact that you found an investor in De Beers Group, you know, the biggest name in our business. And you shared that story with me previously, but it's it's a fun story. How did you get hooked up with De Beers? Yeah, you know, it's always, my mom always used to say, you're only three people away from meeting the Pope. <laughs> and that's, that's like so true, just I think in the world of networking and especially in the world of venture capital. I was raising our first round of funding and I was in diligence with another fund, but they were based in the UK. And they actually asked me to get on the phone with two people, two separate people that they knew in the diamond industry. And one of the calls, it was so funny, it went, 
so beyond terribly horrible. I mean, it was the worst call I think I've ever experienced. This person just hated me and hated the idea. And I was just so, you know, hurt by that call. And so the next day I'm about to get on the call with De Beers and I'm thinking, well, if this other person, you know, really hated Jemis that much, how on earth is De Beers going to wrap their head around this? Because this is different. This is not, you know, traditional. This is totally innovative and very, very different. And I was remember being so nervous getting on this call, but it was with Stephen Lassier, one of the most innovative people I've ever had the privilege of getting to know. And he just went on that journey with me. Our phone call turned into be like an hour and he just totally understood what I was doing, why I was doing it. And he was just so fantastic about it and really like went deep with me on the whole thing. And anyway, at the end of it, he was like, by the way, you know, De Beers is starting a fund. And so I was getting in essentially like right when they were getting started, it was, it was insanely perfect timing. And so the rest is history. They eventually had me come to London and I got to actually in person pitch all of their C-suite executives and their top stakeholders. And that was a very exciting, very powerful moment for me in my career, you know, just being a woman in the VC world and then a woman in jewelry and really having the energy and the power to stand up in front of these people and say, this is the future. And are you working on anything specifically that De Beers has introduced, I guess, consumer engagement strategies, anything that they're having you focus on? Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff I can't talk about. I mean, one thing uh, we decided pretty early on was this really, in my opinion, I thought it was a very unique opportunity to be able to kind of put a stake in the ground and be a platform that embraced and uh, told a new type of natural diamond story to this younger demographic. I think right now you see a lot of these like younger millennial focused jewelry brands focusing a lot more on lab grown and that's become pretty common across the board. And so I was excited about really kind of being able to reframe that and sort of say, hey, like natural diamonds are sustainable and here's why. And really be able to paint that picture and show where these diamonds are actually coming from, how they're being mined, how they're impacting the communities that are mining them and and all of these really amazing stories that come out of that. And so it's something that I think we're going to be growing a lot more over the next year. Cool. I can't wait to see how this all shapes up. I guess my last question, just to wrap things up, is if there's any interesting trends you're seeing in just terms of what your customers are gravitating to on the site, whether it's specific stones or colors or or styles, any trend update you can share with our listeners? Yeah, you know, I think our consumers really love the fact that we offer a variety of different gemstones, and we're going to continue to expand that that offering as we grow and scale. But you know, we do really well with emeralds, incredibly well with champagne sapphires. People, I think, really like pink right now. Adding a little bit of color here and there into really classic, really beautiful silhouettes is something that I think the Gemis consumer really, really loves. And I also think just kind of attempting to storytell around different styles of jewelry and, and why they're meaningful and, and why they are the right fit for our consumers is something we think a lot about. We have an exciting launch for Mother's Day coming up. So those are things we're thinking critically about right now as we keep growing. It's been so much fun to build it. I'm, I'm excited for the future of Gemis, that's for sure. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.